Welcome back to the Rob O'Donnell Show on WILK News Radio, 103.1 FM, 910, 980 AM, or anywhere on the Odyssey app. You can also catch us anywhere you get your favorite podcast. Just search the Rob O'Donnell Show. 47 degrees and sunny here at 410. Well, this week we had a, a precedent-setting case where, for the first time in, in U.S. law, a parent was held responsible for their child who was an active shooter for this November 13th, 2021 Oxford High School shooting, killing four of his co-students. Jennifer uh, Crumbly was found guilty of four counts of manslaughter, and I'm happy to bring in my next guest, Julie Grant. She's the host of Court TV's opening statement. Court TV's my my go-to to get my synopsis of what's going on legally in cases across the nation. She's also a former uh, dis- assistant district attorney from Western Pennsylvania, and like I said, the host of opening statement on Court TV. Julie, thanks for joining us on the Rob O'Donnell Show today. Rob, thanks for having me. Pleasure to be with you. Uh, You did some great coverage on this case, and I I saw your post from yesterday where you you. you said it was a historic verdict, and it is. This is a precedent-setting verdict. Can you give us a little rundown on what happened with this case? Absolutely, Rob. We witnessed history in the United States of America, as you know, with that verdict, with Jennifer Crumbly being found guilty of four counts of involuntary manslaughter for the lives that her son took. Her son did the murders at his high school, but yet these prosecutors were able to use the law, apply it to these heinous facts, and reach beyond the perpetrator. This is the first time in U.S. history we've seen the government going beyond the perpetrator, extending to the perpetrator's parents the long arm of the law, and bringing Jennifer Crumbly in to face the music and to face these charges and to say, look, even though you didn't intend these deaths to occur, you were so grossly negligent and and that you could have avoided these injuries and these deaths of these beautiful young people if you would have just taken reasonable care. This is more than just carelessness that this mother exhibited, Rob, as you know. This is gross negligence as bad as it gets negligence to have her son hallucinating he was seeing demons in their house for crying out loud. He's thinking the demons are throwing dishes at him. And not only do they refuse to get him the mental health treatment when he's begging for it, they take it a step further, Rob, and they give him a gun. And so these were reasonably foreseeable facts that you're arming your disturbed teenager with a firearm. People could be hurt. I said it before on my show, and I'll say it again on your show, Rob. These crumbly parents, I am astounded that they didn't think that they could be killed by their son, knowing what they knew about the hallucinations and the mental health difficulties he was having. Yes. So so the mother, Jennifer Crumley, was found guilty of four counts of manslaughter. I believe she's facing a maximum of 60 years in prison. Am I correct with that? You are absolutely correct, Rob. Yes. 15 years would be the max on each of the counts. So presuming that the judge would run them consecutively. You know, we don't know. She doesn't have a criminal history as far as we know. But let's just say the judge did. It could be 60 as a max. And and her husband is pending trial. His trial is coming up. uh, Do do we know when that is is scheduled already? Yes. He has a March court date uh, for his trial. He will go second. Now, one of the few things that I saw watching your coverage of this and watching the closing arguments, uh, the defense attorney here kind of dumbfounded me as as a career investigator, as a former homicide detective, really didn't do her client any justice in the closing statement, made it more about herself than her client. 
and in in my opinion, very poor preparation for her client, where she was specifically asked and and watching interviews of the jury foreman afterwards. This obviously was a big a big point in their case was. When she was asked, would you do anything different? Now, we have four dead students here. I mean, let's look at the true victims here, the four deceased victims where Ethan took their lives um, during this event in November. When you're asked if you would do anything different, and your answer is, no, I don't think I would. I, I think I did all I could. When there's four dead lives, you're, you're, yeah, I would do anything I could different because there's four dead people here. Absolutely, Rob. You're spot on. And I think America's blood was boiling hearing that. I, I know my blood was. Some of the answers from Jennifer Crumbly's mouth, I mean, all I could think was, what might these victims' family members be thinking? Because to me, it was very clear she was lying, especially because we had the benefit of watching her son, Ethan, go through the various different court appearances that he had in his plea of guilty and then of course the big long sentencing it's called a Miller Hill uh, Miller hearing excuse me in, in Michigan where um, the judge essentially makes a determination of whether he's eligible for parole because he is a minor even though he's tried as an adult in this one but um, all that being said we had the benefit of knowing that Jennifer Crumbly was lying through much of her testimony on the stand and you're right Rob I couldn't agree with you more that her attorney didn't do her any favors and it's funny, so much of what she said in close, and you hit on it, Rob, I mean, you're a pro. I don't have to tell you, you're a pro at what you do. You've sat through so many trials. She made the case about herself, and you know that's objectionable. And I was sitting there watching it, losing my mind, because I'm thinking, why aren't these prosecutors standing up and objecting? I mean, she was talking about herself on TikTok. She even talked about her oopsie baby. This is the attorney. None of that, none of that were facts and evidence were appropriate argument, had anything to do with the trial in terms of relevancy. It was all wholly inappropriate and self-serving. I saw it as a way of her trying to get around the golden rule, as we call it in trial advocacy, where you know what I'm talking about, Rob, where attorneys can't say to the jury, put yourselves in the shoes of my client, put yourselves in the shoes of the victim. You know, they can't do that. That's a golden rule violation can cause a mistrial. So here, I think she did this tap dance about herself, but it blew up in her face. And, and the jury saw right through it and said, uh-uh, this was so egregious and so appalling. We've got to convict. Yeah, and just watching it, uh, watching your coverage of it, and, I, and again, I didn't sit through an entire trial. I was just getting the bits and pieces out there with, during her closing. Just uh, you're, you're an experienced trial attorney out in Allegheny County. You worked as an assistant district attorney, very active out there. Just her cadence, her tone, the way she said things, and this is the defense attorney, turned me off as someone just watching it on social media. I couldn't imagine sitting in a jury pool saying, you know, enough of this, because listening to post-interviews from the jury foreman, again, who's who hasn't given her name, and, and I don't blame her for that, this is going to be a very polarizing case moving forward, um, said that, you know, we weren't, we weren't unanimous when we went into that jury pool, but the statements made by the defendant herself didn't do her justice. The fact that she was the last person to have that gun, uh, you know, some of the key points did not secure the gun properly, uh, knowing the issues that her son was going through and didn't take the steps necessary. The fact that they even gave access to it. Uh, you know, the, what were the main key points that you saw that came forward that, that got a guilty plea here, got a, got a guilty sure. verdict here? Sure, Rob. Uh, certainly some of that, the way they left the firearm and the ammunition able to be accessed by their teenager that they know is mentally disturbed. 
And the dad, James Crumbly, according to police, when he found out about his son's hallucinations and when the son was begging to go to a doctor, the dad, according to officers, said, suck it up, suck it up. So they refused him treatment. And then on the date of the massacre, when he basically mapped out his plan with that sinister, sickening drawing where there's a firearm, he writes lots of blood, he writes the thoughts won't stop, his life doesn't matter, I mean, all these things. He basically maps out the shooting. And then when the Crumbleys are summoned to the school, they refuse to take their child home. Rob, that appalled me. And then the fact beyond that, when nobody searched the backpack, when nobody thought to say, even just to say to him after the drug, hmm, Ethan, do you have anything in your bag? Especially those parents, because the school doesn't know that he was just given a firearm as a present, but exactly. those parents know, yeah. right? And nobody had the common sense to even ask him the question, Rob. Yeah, to, to clarify that, you know, he did write these these disturbing messages on one of his assignments, was called into the office. The parents were called up there, knowing that they bought a gun, what, a week or two prior, had taken him shooting, knowing there's a gun in the house. They see this. They're in the office with school authorities, school officials, the parents and the student, um, to not say, hey, you know, we have a firearm at home. Let's check his bag. Let's check him. Uh, is just I think that just rose that that negligence that you said that 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 drew that there. But the the fact that that ball was dropped by pretty much everyone, but the parents knowing what they knew, especially. Exactly, Rob. And then I don't know how they could have the peace of mind to go back to work. The Crumbleys, after they left their kid at school and didn't want to bother with him, they went back to work. Neither one of them went back to the house and thought, hmm. Should we make sure that gun is here, that gun that's his illegally, you know, that yeah. we gave him? Should we check and, yeah. and make sure it's here well, at the house? Let's remove oh. it from the premise. Let's get it somewhere else. Right. Let's make sure it's safe. Let's disassemble it so it can't be used at this point. Uh, you know, how, exactly. how, many, uh, uh, how many steps could they have taken there? And, uh, you know, with the time frame of when he was in that office to when the shooting took place, there was enough time for them to go home, realize it was missing, and get back to school and intervene again. You're exactly right, Rob. They they did everything wrong. And, I mean, it just it astounds me, uh, their attitudes. Uh, you know, when this is their child, they brought this child into the world. He was a minor. He was their responsibility. And there were so many other things they could have done for that child when he exhibited the mental health problems. They could have said, you know what, let's take him on a retreat. Let's, you know, if they, if they were against counseling for whatever reason, I have no idea why they were against it when the school suggested it, but they could have said, oh, maybe he needs a vacation. Maybe he needs some quality time with us, his parents. What's troubling him? Maybe we need to, you know, get him something healthy, like some self-help books or something. Yeah. No, they buy him a gun. I, I mean, I, I just, I am appalled. It, you know, in and believe me, I, you know, I'm somebody who's a, a huge proponent of the Second Amendment. I'm a big believer in, in good guys with guns it is great for America. But this is not that. This is not that situation no. at all. It is illegal to give a child that age a firearm in, in, in Michigan. It was terrible that, that they used that as a way to reward him when, when he's going through these, these horrible difficulties. In, in, I mean, can you imagine this child is seeing demons in the house. He doesn't know what he's seeing, can't stop the thoughts in his head, and he's begging for his mom and dad because he can't drive to take him to yeah. a doctor, and they refuse. It is cruel. It is cruel.
And again, reading the comments from the jurors afterwards, looking at their interviews, I think if when the mother was asked, would you have done anything different? If she could have somehow gained the sincerity, which, again, hard for her because we've caught her lying how many times, and said, in hindsight, with four dead students, I would do anything I could different. Uh, and didn't even specify Bingo. that. She could have won one juror over to maybe got that non-unanimous vote, but she stuck by her. No, I would do nothing different, knowing what she knows in hindsight that four dead, four children were killed. Right, Rob. You hit the nail on the head. If she would have just apologized, been contrite, and, and I wonder what her lawyer said to her in trial preparation. I'm sure you probably wondered that, too, because they had to have gone over her direct examination again and again and again, practice the cross. And that was a foreseeable question, right? You know, if you could go back in time, what would you do differently? And so there, there would be a way to say that, to say, oh, my gosh, anything yeah. to save these children, anything to prevent this, you know, I, I could have done. There, but the way she was just so cold-hearted, I, I thought she came off cold-hearted and kind of callous on the stand. I, I wasn't buying it. And I, I also feel like her behavior that she exhibited with her son was kind of the same behavior on the jury. It was that I don't care kind of attitude. And we, a lot of the testimony, I know you didn't get to see all of it. You're a busy guy, Rob. But <laughs> some of the testimony, you know, kind of veered off into her life and how disinterested she was in her child, where she was having affairs, and uh, she was more interested in, in riding her horses. And, you know, horses, that's all fine and good, but bring your kid along, right? Yeah. Bring your kid along. Watch him. Supervise him. You know, your kids, uh, sure you, you know your kid's going through everything that he's telling you he's going through. Do everything you can to get him better, everything you can to help and be there for him, not cast him aside to eventually do something like this. Um, exactly. Julie, if my audience wants to watch you or listen to you, your show opening statement, I believe it's 8 o'clock Eastern time here on Court TV, what else, what else do you have coming yes. up? Oh, Rob, I would love that. If your listeners would, would love to join us uh, some morning, any morning, we would be delighted. And uh, what we do is every morning on opening statements, we cover all the big cases making headlines at trial and in true crime. So if it's a big true crime case the community is talking about, uh, we're talking about it and we bring on incredible expert guests and as a matter of fact we would love to invite you rob o'donnell to join us sometime and be one of our law enforcement expert guests you would be incredible if you have the time we'd love to have you come and weigh in and talk about some of these big cases we've got absolutely we had that conversation this morning i'm looking forward to it julie grant she's oh, julie great. court tv on and on twitter or at now x yeah. at julie court tv i appreciate you joining us julie and we'll be in touch shortly Oh, Rob, thank you kindly, and thank you for your service. Thank you. Take care. It's uh, 424 here at WI, okay? Hey, thanks, Rob. traffic and weather. Looks like we have some heavy traffic on River Street in Wilkes-Barre. That's bumper to bumper. You might find delays. There's also heavy traffic on Jefferson Avenue in Scranton, South Blakely Street in Dunmore. The good news is there are no accidents, no major backups. Whenever you see a traffic problem, call our jam line 570-883-7269. From the WILK Traffic Center, Nikki Stone with this Penteladata Internet Traffic Update. Thank you, Nikki. Here's the Storm Tracker 16 forecast from Chief Meteorologist Kurt Aaron. Uh, tonight, clear skies, low 28. Thursday, a mix of sun and uh, mix of clouds and sun. Milder, high 52. Friday, dry start, cloudy most of the day, high of 52 again. Saturday, some rain in the afternoon and evenings move in. 
It's going to be in the uh, upper 50s. Welcome back to the Rob O'Donnell Show on WILK News Radio, 103.1 FM, 910980 AM, 46 degrees and sunny here at 429. I'm getting some breaking news right now that we uh, have multiple officers shot in the upper Darby area of Pennsylvania, possibly a child shot, and a house is burning to the ground to what was... Uh, Classified as an active shooter, Upper Darby Fire Department is uh, getting was getting multiple calls uh, to assist EMS. Gunshot victims were present, and the house is burning. I just saw Fox News show a video of a house burning um, in a suburban area, but it's being classified now as an active shooter with uh, multiple officers and possibly a child shot at that location in Upper Darby. That's outside of uh, Philadelphia. If I can get any further information, I will for you, but that's what's breaking now. And like I said, I believe one of the news stations at least had a, had a video from their air unit showing the house on fire. Yeah, Channel 3 now... Upper Darby, two police officers were shot during an active shooter situation in East Lansdowne, Delaware County, sources said on Wednesday. The shooting happened at around 3.45 p.m. in the area of Lewis Avenue. There is currently a fire burning at the home. So again, this is coming from Channel 3 News in Philadelphia. Two police officers were shot during an active shooter situation in East Lansdowne, Delaware County. We have no condition on the officers, uh, but the house that it did take place on is currently uh, fully engulfed in flames. So uh, prayers to our first responders, and hopefully the police officers are not in any serious condition. But we'll find out, and I'll keep that up for you. We were talking about that case with uh, with uh, Julie Grant. She's the host of Court TV's opening statement. And again, I, I like I said, she got a law degree here in Pennsylvania. She was an assistant district attorney out in Allegheny County, very active out there, and now the host of opening statement on Court TV. Uh, that case is a precedent-setting case. This is the first case in U.S. law where a parent has been held responsible for their child's criminal actions. So how this is used, the precedent that this sets, could be damaging for a lot of parents, and not just because there was a firearm involved that they bought and did not secure properly that the child had access to. There was more to it than just that. There were there was known issues with mental issues with this child and the fact that they left that gun unsecured. And like I said, based on statements from the jury themselves, it was her carelessness, her callousness um, to the whole situation where knowing that four students, fellow students were murdered, asked, would you do anything different? She said, no. Well, so the outcome's fine with you? You wouldn't do anything different. And that's what kind of turned the jury at that point, listening to the statements. I mean, your, your answer would be, oh, oh God, yes, I, I would do anything different. Uh, there's so much, I, anything to prevent the deaths I, I would do. But to say you would do nothing when you're facing manslaughter child, trial uh, charges yourself and 60 years in prison... Uh, and again, then they found out that the mother was having an affair with the local fire per, uh, fireman. Um, 
constantly lying during the trial did not do her ju just justice. But the callousness, and again, the attorney, the defense attorney here was horrible. But it, this is going to be a precedent-setting case. Make no mistake about it. So I'm glad we could get uh, Julian to talk about those things. It's uh, 4.33 here at WILK. We'll be back with the Rob O'Donnell Show in just a minute. Welcome back to the Rob O'Donnell Show on WILK News Radio. It's a point of the show where we honor our heroes across America who made the ultimate sacrifice. 76 police officers made the ultimate sacrifice on this day, five of them from here in Pennsylvania. And right now we pray for the at least two Upper Darby police officers who we're getting reports of have been shot during an active shooter situation down there. We'll try and update you when we get the information here. We're going to start off with uh, Trooper Herbert Werfel. Pennsylvania State Police in 1982 was killed in a traffic accident while attempting to stop traffic violator in bad weather conditions. Patrolman William Ross Ewing, Ewing, Pittsburgh Bureau of Police, 1953, succumbed to a head injury five days earlier when his head struck utility pole while leaning to take a turn on his motorcycle. Was taken to Allegheny Hospital where he succumbed to his injuries five days later. Police officer Robert Clarence Taylor, Philadelphia Police Department in 1933, was killed in a motorcycle crash while responding to a robbery call. Police officer Louis A. Knapp, Pennsylvania Coal and Iron Police Department, was shot and killed while attempting to question two suspects and another with another officer who had uh, brought moonshine to the property of a Vesta Coal Company near Brownsville. Police officer Paul Fox and officer Knapp had witnessed the two men carrying a five-gallon can of moonshine from a vehicle in an attempt to sell it on the property. They approached the subjects, and as they entered the coal company property, both men shot at the officer, striking Officer Knapp in the head, killing him. It was 1927. Patrolman Thomas Henry Kinser, Reading Police Department in 1925, suffered a fatal heart attack while arresting an intoxicated subject who assaulted him on Schuylkill Avenue near Windsor Street. And those are our five from our area in Pennsylvania here. Looking up some breaking news now, that helicopter, the CH-53 helicopter, which is the same type of helicopter, it's a Sikorsky, same helicopter as Marine One, the, the helicopter that the president flies, but it's a CH-53 stallion that the Marines use. It's a large heavy lift helicopter. Five Marines were on board. I have not gotten an update they said they have located the site of the helicopter. They're not calling it a crash site. They're just saying they located the helicopter. And they're saying there is rescue, search and rescue operations underway to uh, locate the five crew members. There were five Marine crew members heading from the Las Vegas area to Nevada to uh, Miramar, California, which is located in San Diego. It's the former Top Gun base. Fighter Town, USA, there in Miramar, which um, when Top Gun moved to Fallon, Nevada, the Marines took over Miramar, and it's currently a Marine air base for their air assets near Pendleton there. So uh, just looking at some text messages coming in. You can call or text at 570 as well. 
Somebody state, Rob, I agree those parents were pieces of trash, but I just worry if the text of the involuntary manslaughter doesn't match her acts. Uh, know what I mean? Uh, I ask because this will go to appeal. Uh, it will go to appeal because this is a precedent-setting setting case, and that's coming from Navy guy. I, 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 do, I do agree. Um, the callousness of this woman, and again, her husband goes to trial in March, is what did her in. But the precedent now of parents being responsible for their children's criminal actions when it comes to negligence, when it comes to murder, um, is going to open up a, um, a Pandora's box when it comes to a lot of things. Now, just a trial, bringing parents to trial will bankrupt a family. So it doesn't even have to be a successful case. It just has to be a case that's brought that you have to defend yourself in. But I've seen a lot of questions asked, well, what about all this crime we see in Chicago, New York, Baltimore, Philadelphia? Do we start holding those parents responsible, knowing that their kids are out there as recidivist criminals? I mean, a lot of these carjackings where people are getting murdered in D.C. area are teens, young teens, 13, 14. Do parents start being held responsible? This sets a precedent that is unheard of in the American justice system. So we'll see where that goes. It's uh, 443 here at WILK. Time for traffic and weather. And thank you, Rob. It looks like we have no reports of any accidents on 8180, 380, 476, the PA Turnpike. They're all looking good. A little bit of heavy traffic heading up that hill, Route 6 and 11 in Clark Summit. Scranton, you have Wyoming Avenue, Jefferson Avenue, and Harrison Avenue with heavy traffic. Also in Wilkesbury, you can expect to find heavy traffic on South Mead Street, Blackman Street, and on River Street. Whenever you see a traffic problem, call our jam line 570-883-7269. Nikki Stone from the WILK Traffic Center with this Penteladata Internet Traffic Update. Thank you, Nikki. Here's the Storm Tracker 16 forecast from Chief Meteorologist Kurt Aaron. Tonight, clear skies, low 28. Tomorrow, Thursday, a mix of clouds and sun, milder, high 52. Friday, a dry start, but mostly cloudy for the day, high of 52 again. Saturday, some rain moving in in the afternoon and evenings. Um, it's going to be moderate up in the 50s again. It's currently uh, 46 degrees and sunny here. At, uh, coming up on 445 here at your official weather station, WILK. Welcome back to the Rob O'Donnell Show on WILK News Radio, 103.1 FM, 910980 AM, or anywhere on the Odyssey app. 46 degrees and sunny here at 449. Got a text message in, uh, yes, if the kids are under 18, the parents should be held responsible. So what you're saying is anyone under 18, if they commit a crime, the parents should be held responsible. For that crime. I'd be careful what you wish for there. It's a slippery slope. Let's uh, go to the phones now. You can call or text at 570-883-0098. We have Lee from Scranton on Jennifer Crumbly and her guilty verdict. Um, yes, yes, sir. Um, look, and I just want to say that when somebody buys a gun that's under 18, the parent should always be in possession of that weapon at all times unless... There with that child supervising them with the use of that weapon and the training of how to handle that weapon. But with all that said, I, I really think that uh, we're looking at the wrong people. I think we're looking, we should be looking at the school district 
and the people in, that were like the principal and the guidance counselor and the mental health uh, team that might be on board in that school district, because that child should have been expelled from that school district immediately. And it shouldn't have been whether the parents wanted him to be or he was an imminent threat to everybody in that building. And parents, at least from what I've seen in the, what the jury did, okay, the mother was wholly inadequate inadequate in uh, her, you know, her way of handling the situation and, and even possibly even being a parent. So, you know, and the child, I don't know if he can ever be removed from, you know, allowed to be released from jail because uh, he might be a threat to society going forward. Um, because he's definitely got a lot of issues going on. But I, I just think that when you look at what courts do sometimes, um, there's just because you're a district attorney and you have a right to charge doesn't mean that that's the way you should go. And I think that they don't want to make the school district and the government itself look bad when what really happened is that the district failed this child because he was in their custody and they knew he was a threat. And I can see calling the parents. But when you don't get the action you need from the parents, then you have to protect the children that are in that in that district. You have to expel that person and make sure that, you know, you handle the situation correctly and have the weapons removed from that home. And um, I don't know what you think about what I'm saying, Rob. Well, I, I agree some part. I, I, I know there's more information out today that I didn't get into today because, again, it's just breaking today that the school was aware of more than, than they let on and the school resource officer was aware of more than they let on. But they did, neither of them knew that there was even a gun in the household. The parents never disclosed that. So, yes, the, the child wrote disturbing things on one of his homework assignments. They found writings on his Chromebook a week prior to the shooting, the school and the school resource officer, that per the information I'm getting was forwarded to Department of Homeland Security. But there's also a legal obligation to give this child an education. So simply because he was writing things on an assignment, not knowing there was a weapon in the house, not knowing he had access to a weapon, again, they were all negligent for not searching him when it was brought to their attention when they were in the office the day of the shooting. And believe me, there's enough negligence to go around here. But the, we can't argue that parents are ultimately responsible for their kids' actions and their kids' education when, when, when we talk about schooling and then say, well, this is totally on the schools and administration's fault. Uh, I, I think part of it is, but the school's hands are tied as far as having to provide an education and is just is writing threats on a homework assignment or on, on a test enough to expel someone from the school? I think it is, and I think that when you expel them, you would add a hearing to, to see whether the expellation, being expelled was warranted, and um, we missed that whole step and whether there was more intervention necessary. And then you could have brought the courts involved, children and youth, and a whole host of people who could have dealt with this. And I think that we just, we pretend like we train and, you know, teachers and superintendents and all these people to understand children. But I, I, don't, I don't think they really do understand children. I think that they're professional teachers teaching reading and writing, and this all had to be handed off to people that were capable of making those decisions. And it never happened. And that's the problem here. And the, and the way the mother, look, at, let's face the reality that there are a lot of women and men that have children and they're not good parents. But nobody else's children should die 
and somebody had to step in and make sure they were protected. And we keep watching the schools fail to protect children when they know what's taking place. They don't act in a way. Everybody talks about all the rules they have, but for some reason they're never followed or they just don't have any real and like I said, more information has come out today after the trial that I'm sure will be used in appeal that uh, that the school knew more than they let on up to a week prior where they were getting they were getting notifications. Uh, and I, I, I like the 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 security procedures they had in place. Any school Chromebook that this school had, if any words were used while typing into that Chromebook like shooting, a bomb, they had a host of key trigger words that would alert the administration that those words were being written into this Chromebook, and it's all their school Chromebooks have this have this ability. They were able to get this Chromebook, see that this individual was writing a manifesto on what he was about to do. School resource officer was involved with it. There was a police report generated. Uh, they did re- confiscate the Chromebook to to look through it more thoroughly. And again, this is a week prior, and then a week later. They have this math test that this individual writes these threats on. The teacher sends them to administration. Administration calls the parents. The parents, knowing that you know, just days prior they bought a gun, they've been taking this individual's shooting, not check the student, not do anything like that. The thing that got this woman convicted is her, her callousness. She did not think she did anything wrong. She did not think she could do anything different. She was more worried about her and her life than her kid's life, and that came across during this trial, and that rose to that negligent for this manslaughter charge. Well, I I just think that civilly, if I was one of the parents who lost one of my children, I'd take them into civil court and I'd sue them and see, you know, what the court actually thought about that, because I think they're liable for for the death of those children, and and they just didn't act in a way that uh, showed their professionalism and I, I don't expect people to agree with me, but no, I think a civil suit. Children, I think a civil suit goes without saying. I think that's that's no doubt that that's going to happen, uh, because there what like I said, there's negligence to go around, but the criminal negligence that falls on the parents because of the things they did and the callousness and and again, simply asking, knowing four children were killed, would you do anything different? And your answer is no, I wouldn't. Rob, my last statement on this is this: that you know. We've got an awful lot of um, collective stupidity in our government because you see things happen over and over again, and all these innocent children are dying. And we have all these legislators that are walking around making tons of money who get elected, and they don't have the ability to do their job. So we never get any kind of relief because the voters go into, into the polls and vote for people that they don't even have any idea what these people are believe or what they're capable of. And so what happens is the whole society falls into a free fall. And that's where America is. We don't elect people on the ability to lead. We elect people on sound bites and uh, commercials and just utter silliness. And we're suffering for it. I agree 100% there, Lee. I appreciate it. We're going to have to leave it there. Thanks for your call today. Thanks Lee. for your time. Thank yeah, you. Bye. It's uh, 457 here at WILK. We'll be back. We're still monitoring the situation down in uh, Darby, Upper Darby, Pennsylvania, where we have two officers shot. Uh, Their condition is unknown at this time. The house is fully engulfed in flames at this point. SWAT team is on the scene, and we'll keep update on uh, if we can bring any updates on it. It's coming up on the 5 o'clock hour here on the Rob O'Donnell Show. Oh, let's... uh,
say a prayer for our first responders out there. We'll be back after the messages. 